Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Jen Kem, founder of Confidently. And if you want to learn how to connect with world-class people, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Jen Kem. Jen is a brand futurist, business strategist, and leadership mentor to women-founded companies. Her entire mission is to help them get seen, heard, and paid more based on their values. She's the creator of the Master Brand Method, a framework to develop powerful brand archetypes that bring the same strategies from major brands like Oprah, Winfrey Network, Steve Harvey, and Verizon to small businesses. Guys, it's going to be such a fun, amazing conversation that we're going to have here in just a second. But really quickly, if you are a six or seven figure entrepreneur, and you know that you're supposed to start a podcast for your business, but you're not exactly sure where to start or how to get started in the right direction, then head on over to travischapel.com slash make my podcast. There's a quick application there. I will jump on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. So you can focus on what you're good at, which is doing your business and servicing your clients. But we can focus on what we're good at, which is building world class podcasts. So travischapel.com slash make my podcast. Jen, what's up? Thanks so much for joining me on the show. So happy to be here, Travis. Yes, ma'am. Well, let's go ahead and jump right in here and build some context for those listening. And uh, let's take it back. Okay. And usually when I say this, people aren't expecting how far back I want to go. So <laughs> let, let's go, let's go real far back. Let's say 10, 11 years old, Jen, talk to me about, you know, family life, school life, academics, sports, what was important to you? What, what were you up to back then? Love this question, because I think that origin story pre like pubescent is actually quite important because it informs a lot 
uh, that goes on when we're adults, right? So I actually grew up in a tiny itty bitty town on the North shore of Oahu in Hawaii. And I always thought when I started realizing, oh, I don't really belong here. You know, I felt like the aliens had dropped me off in the wrong place when I was born. (laughs) And I tell this story all the time because it's a sugar plantation. In fact, we're called sugar babies there. So you you grow up in a place where Obviously, there's like a lot of immigrants, which is awesome. You know, I come from a Filipino cultural background. My grandparents were immigrants and worked the plantation and, you know, raised us to be very hardworking and resilient and all of those things. But I was what I call something they were not ready for. And I don't really know where I got it from, Travis, but I was always very curious and contrarian to all the things that you know, were around me. That's why I thought the aliens had dropped me off because I didn't understand why, you know, this idea of like working really hard, you know, they came back like dirty, soiled. We had a great house and I appreciated the effort as a young person, but I was like, I don't want to like work out there. And then my grandmother was actually an entrepreneur, but she didn't call herself an entrepreneur. She, she escaped the plantation and basically started a home care business. One of the first three women in the state of Hawaii that did that. And so I lived with these elder people who actually had mental health issues in my house. And so nobody, none of my friends ever wanted to come over because they were really scared of what we called the old ladies that lived in my house. (laughs) So here I am like, you know, with a hardworking Filipino grandma, three of the old ladies who I used to play school with, like literally they were like my pupils and I would teach them how to read and write. And at the same time, my parents, because they didn't know what to do with me because they were like, okay, you're kind of, you're kind of you have like big dreams. This is cool. So they decided to put me in Catholic school, which was pretty funny because it was like, oh, go to private school. Maybe they'll help you grow and be awesome. And any religion, I think, period, when you're younger, that dogmatic learning, that was the kind of thing that I would question. Like I would question the nuns. I would be like, is that really what Jesus would do? You know, I'm just curious about I'm sure they really loved that. Oh, they loved it. And it was interesting, Travis, because I was that kid who really loved academics. I'm a voracious reader till this day. I I think my mom would even say that as a young kid, I learned how to read very early. I would devour books. I would go to the little library in our town. It was a really tiny library. And after I've read almost every children's book, I started meandering over to the the adult section. And I... (laughs) So this is Jen Kim at 10. I pulled down this book that looked really interesting, was pretty high up, and it was called The Joy of Sex. And I was like, oh, what's that? So I pull it down and I open it and I'm like, oh my God, this is how babies are made. So of course I went straight back to Catholic school and told all my fourth grader friends. Of course, of course how babies were made and got into big trouble. So this is the kind of kid that you're dealing with here. So I was very much, you know, I felt, but at the same time, I actually felt because of that, I felt very lonely. I felt very isolated. Mm, yeah. You know, I didn't feel like I could have conversations with anybody that understood the words coming out of my mouth. And my respite, I tell a lot of people, was after school, before Sesame Street, by accident, after watching soap operas with my grandma in the afternoon, I, I turned on PBS early. And on PBS, there was this guy, older white gentleman with a Kangol hat on, and it was Wayne Dyer. And he started speaking and I realized, oh, wow, there's possibility beyond this place I'm in. And I always credit that moment. And I remember it so viscerally, even as I tell you about it, where I was like, wow, okay. And he said, you need to be very specific. You know, first of all, it's up to you to have the possibility, but also he said, be specific about what you want. And I was like, well, that's never worked for me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it's kind of like that environment thing, right? Kind of back to networking, even about what your podcast is about. It's like the people around me, 
didn't know how to connect with me. Yeah, yeah. I loved them, you know, my family, my teachers, even though I, they didn't understand me, I did really want to be accepted by them. Yeah. And so it was Wayne Dyer and then Fred Rogers, right? Mr. Rogers' neighborhood taught me like, oh, even if people don't understand you, be kind. And so I would say early on at that age, I really, they were two mentors of mine that I just decided were mentors. And then the last thing I think is a defining moment at the, that age that really speaks to who I am today is in second grade, they had asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? That's kind of the question everybody gets in second grade. And the boys said, you know, they want to be police officers, firefighters, and doctors. And then the girls said they want to be teachers and nurses and moms, you know. And I said I wanted to be the general counsel of Coca-Cola International. (laughs) (laughs) And Sister Fatima, the nun, She sent me to the back of the room and she's like, you know, you're always making up these big performative stories. And I said, no, I read an article in the business news because I used to sit with my grandma in the morning. She'd have Lipton tea and and peanut butter toast. And she would give me the business section because she was like, I don't understand this, but maybe you do. So I would read it. And Wayne Dyer said, be specific. And I saw this article that this guy was on the front page of the, the business news and coca Cola's shares were up and, and the attorney was the spokesperson. And I was like, oh, he seems like an important person. And Coca-Cola is an international company. That means I'll get to travel. So that's kind of how I put two and two together. So anyway, as you can tell, Travis, I was a very weird kid. In a league of your own anyway, for sure. Like totally weird. Yeah. You you needed to be communicating with like college freshmen (laughs) instead of a bunch of other second graders is what it sounded like. Yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So how did that translate into your high school years? So I always, again, felt very isolated and, and alone. In fact, was heavily bullied too, you okay. know, 
like between fourth and eighth grade, it was, I'd say those are the years that I felt not just obviously the awkward years of growing up, but because I felt so misunderstood, you know, girls didn't like me because I didn't want to be girly, you know, boys didn't understand me. And, but I always did feel more comfortable hanging out with the guys because I could, you know, like I was kind of athletic. I liked a lot of things. I was very multi-passionate is how I would say it. Cause I had this energy of devouring life then. I'm not, that, I'm not that intense anymore. Okay. Just to let you know, but as a young person, I don't know, I was kind of born with this intensity. And so because I was so heavily bullied and all the girls, frankly, like a lot of the girls, they didn't like me. They teased me. They didn't invite me over because I also had this weird house where I had these old people in my house. So people were scared to sleep over. So I would never have sleepovers at my house. And so going into high school, I actually noticed if I look back, I became more, not just reclusive, but super introverted, focus became more like academic instead of talkative because I, I noticed that if I talked about bigger issues or whatever, or or if I had an opinion, it would never, not never, it would rarely be met with understanding. And Mm -hmm. so, and then I also became, I started becoming more friends with like my teachers than, you know, fellow students. And I was actually mad at my mom in high school big time because you know, they had wanted to move me up a couple grades. And my mom said, no, I don't want her socially to be around older people. I want her to be around her age group and, mm. you know, and that type of thing. And I'm a mother now. And looking back, I think that was the right decision. My mom and I have, you know, we have this love, you know, she's Filipino, she's a tiger mom, you know? So mm. it's like, she has these ideas for my future. And for me, I understand why she wanted me to socially be around people my age. So I can appreciate it now. But back then in high school, I was pretty pissed. Sure, (laughs) I was like, you know, you're keeping me down, you know? And she was like, you're going to appreciate this later because I don't want you to grow up too fast. And she was right. So yeah, I felt very lonely in high school too, but I had a few really close friends who were amazing, who were quirky. Like we were like, I was like president of Amnesty International, you know, like I wanted to save like the entire world and (laughs) all those things. So, but I still, I found that I became the older I got, Travis, because I didn't feel understood. And I lived in Hawaii, which is a very different culture than the rest of the United States. You know, I just knew I needed to leave, I guess is my point. So in high school, I was like, I had a very clear view of what I wanted to be when I grew up, which included still being the general counsel of Coca-Cola International. And I wanted to go to Boston. So for me, I had this entire plan, like, I'm leaving Hawaii because I want to be around. I chose Boston because of like their reputation, at least in books, because I'd never been there, of intellect and academia, right? Harvard, MIT, you know, all of that. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to be that girl. I'm going to be that person, you know, and it didn't work out. So (laughs) but that was my plan. What ended up happening after high school then? Yeah. So back to my mom, who again, I love dearly. If she listens to this podcast, she's going to be like, I thought it didn't happen because she still denies it. It's okay. We've had a lot of therapy around it. But bottom lining it is my parents got divorced when I was in high school. And actually that was okay. Because I was like, you guys are not made for each other. I was that kid. My mom was like, mm-hmm. I would tell my mom, you'd be a lot happier if you guys were not together. And she said, what kind of kid would tell her <laughs> parents to get divorced? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just saying you guys seem better off not together. Yeah. So they finally listened to me, Travis, <laughs> and got divorced, which actually was great. I missed my dad a lot because he and I were very, very close and I lived with my mom, but he was always available like to me. And the bottom line is when they broke up, our entire financial situation changed. I didn't grow up rich and I didn't grow up poor. It was a super middle-class existence. And my parents valued education. They invested 
obviously me and my brothers to like get educated. But when they broke up, just like a lot of families, like you think everything's together. And the thing that really changed was my mom's financial situation. Like my dad left and he got remarried. And bottom line is she didn't want us to know that she couldn't afford the things Mm. that you know, again, middle-class family, but we never felt like we didn't have anything. So I'm very grateful for that, but but it wasn't like we lived in exorbitant. Anyway, what she didn't tell me, Travis, was, you know, I had an academic background, so I got a lot of scholarships and, but I wanted to go to Boston University and then go to Harvard Law. That was my plan. Like I literally laid it out my junior year and said, this is my plan. I'm going to go to BU and then I'm going to go to Harvard Law. And my mom at the time supported it but then they got divorced and she secretly, and I totally understand this. It's a very cultural thing too for Asian people is she didn't want to tell me that she didn't think that could happen financially because BU was the one school that I got into that didn't give me as much financial aid as the others. Like I got a full ride to a couple schools. So my mom, she told us we were going to Boston, Travis, this literally happened to me. And I'm some 18 excited. I'm leaving Hawaii. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to paint my future. And we get on the plane. We're going to LA. I'm like, why are we going to LA first? And she said, we're going to visit your aunt. We're going to go to Disneyland. I'm like, Disneyland? Hell yes. We're going to Disneyland. So we go to Disneyland and instead she drops me off at Loyola Marymount and said, this is the school you're actually going to go to the next four years. (laughs) And besides being completely, literally cray cray livid about it, it really messed me up for a while. Like that's my whole point because as I've described to you, I was this kid that had this intentionality and Wayne Dyer told me to be specific. And like, you know, my mom was kind of like, you can still be the general counsel of Coca-Cola International. You just need to go to the school that's going to pay a full ride because I can't afford to send you to BU. I said, I will work. I will get loans. She's like, you don't want to have student loans. You don't want to set yourself up for that future. But I didn't, I couldn't be rationalized in that moment at 18 because, you know, it's a perfect example of I was quote unquote smart on paper, but rationalization at 18, that wasn't my, you know, that wasn't something I could understand. And so she, again, now I'm a mother, right? 20 plus years later and looking back, I get it. Like I get why she did it, but man, in the moment. And also I wish she would have just had a conversation with me because actually if she did, I, I could have rationalized it. Yeah. But you know, parents, you like, we kind of like, we'll mess up our kids definitely at some point. <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway, that, yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty much a guarantee just how you're going to mess them up. That's <laughs> correct. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like no matter what you try, like, yeah. And I have three, so, you know, here we go. So bottom lining it, I, I went to college. I felt totally lost for four years, Travis, like for the first time in my life. And I was very, I was angry. I was resentful. I was, I didn't care. Here I was this kid growing up straight A student in college. I barely made it Mm, because I was, I felt so defeated. And I think that's an example of how we can like, again, mess up our kids or not understand how fragile confidence can be. Cause here I came in like, Oh, you know, I know what I want. And again, Wayne Dyer told me that to be specific and then I'll get anything I want. I couldn't see, I was inside of the bottle, right? I couldn't see outside of the bottle in college. I actually became even more reclusive. It was like, I had one or two friends, you know, most people have these college stories where like they were so involved and they were so, you know, in a sorority. And I don't have that story. I was very much like, I just went to class. I did my duty is how I describe it. Like I felt completely constrained. I lost my dreams, if you will. Like in the moment, I was just like, I just couldn't see it anymore. And frankly, I was in California and I love, I live in California now and I love California. I actually probably would never want to live anywhere else. Now, when I was there, I was like, these aren't my people. Like I'm supposed to be 
in Boston, you know? And so I just became more and more inward. Bottom lining is I, I was there for a year, Travis, and just to piss off my mom, my second choice, if I didn't go to Boston, was in California, was Santa Clara University or UC Berkeley. Because I was like, if I'm going to live in California, I'll live in Northern California around high tech and, you know, that type of thing. So I gave up my scholarship my sophomore year and I left Loyola and went to Santa Clara on my own. And with no scholarship, my mom was pissed. Like I literally called her after Christmas and said, oh, I'm going to Santa Clara University now. And she said, wait, what? And I said, yeah, I left Loyola. She's like, you left your full ride. I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. I realized at 19 that actually it's my decision. Yeah. Because at 18, I thought it was her decision. Right. And at 19, I was like, no, this is my decision. And so that kind of unravels the winding yarn that I've been talking about in terms of like what my career is now. Because Santa Clara in the middle of Silicon Valley, I realized I still was frankly resentful and unhappy. To be honest with you, Travis, I still wanted to be in Boston, but I was like, well, I'm here. What should I do? And I started exploring. I was a business major and I, I started exploring like, oh, Accounting, finance, marketing, management, right? HR. Like I tried, I got an internship with every single thing and I hated all of it except for marketing. That's where I realized back to like, maybe I won't be a lawyer, which probably turned out to be a good idea, but I could be a brand strategist, right? I could like work in advertising and be behind some of the bigger brands, which Coca-Cola is one of the biggest in the world. So that's how I started my college years at, in Silicon Valley. were very much about like trying out different companies and working mm-hmm. for high tech companies and realizing that I wanted to be in marketing. Would you recommend a similar thing for young people out there that are trying to figure out what they want to do? Just get in, try a bunch of stuff and see what you don't like, see what you like. And hundred percent. Again, I don't regret anything that's happened. Like I can look back now as a functioning adult (laughs) and look back at it and go, okay, it was all supposed to happen as it was. And yes, I mean, I'm glad that I did that because I was so lost, Travis. So I've always been this kind of person that was like a problem solver, kind of natural gift of mine. So I was like, well, in order to solve the problem of my confusion of what I want to be, Let's just try a bunch of things, you know, and that's literally what happens. So I totally think that people should do that more. Try a bunch of things and don't be, I call it be committed, not attached. So be committed to getting some clarity, but don't be attached to the how and be brave enough to say, that's not for me. And so I can leave with some elegance and some clean exit, if you will. Yeah. So you get a little bit of clarity. So then what happens after college? What's the path for you after college? Yeah. So my first job out of college. I worked for the biggest advertising agency in the world, Ogilvy. I got an entry-level position, Travis. My title was junior copywriter, but that really meant I just ran coffee for the executives. I mean, truly, like I didn't get to write much in the beginning. It was more like, don't make a lot of noise. You can watch us. We'll throw you a few things that you can write, but just get coffee mainly. I was like, okay. And I discovered two things early on in my career at 22. I was in the executive, you know, they would be talking about a campaign. It was cool. Like one of the the campaigns they had was the Coca-Cola account. So connection, connect the dots, right? And I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And they wouldn't let me do any of the work, but I was listening in and the executives would do these, basically these debates between their brand and who they were trying to and in their words, kill. Like the ad agencies are very cutthroat. They want to win, you know, the wallet share and the the brand share of the market. And so they would do these Coke versus Pepsi challenges inside of the executive rooms. It was actually pretty cool. And they started talking about if our archetypes were in a fight, what weapons would they bring, you know? And so this is where I learned first about brand archetypes, which my company is known to help 
entrepreneurs use now, but this is the origin story of that expertise is like, they taught me that like Coca-Cola is a muse brand archetype and Pepsi is a ruler brand archetype. And what are the strengths of these archetypes that make both of them so influential and persuasive? I mean, besides the fact that they're, you know, infecting us with sugar, you know, like what advertising will get us, you know, obsessed with the brand. And I learned very early when I studied, you know, I asked my mentor, she was awesome and she was really cool. And she taught me a lot about how to win basically in my career. And, you know, she said, tell me why you think the muse, why Coca-Cola is so dominant over Pepsi, you know, besides obviously Pepsi is not as, it came on later right? Coca-Cola is like the old school brand, right? And I said, I don't know, like it would meet, I would think that the ruler brand would be dominant because Pepsi's advertising was all celebrities like Michael Jackson, Madonna, like all, you know, Cindy Crawford, they were all the celebrity brands that were on their advertising. I said, I thought that would move people. She said, actually, the reason Coke is so dominant as a muse brand is because they appeal to the innocence and the moments that we all wish we still had as adults, like we miss our childhood. And so I started like really looking at that. I don't know if you know this, Travis, but Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus. So I hope your daughter, your child is not listening to this podcast because they actually created, they invented Santa Claus specifically to influence us during the holidays. That's why Santa is an old white man, fat, because he eats a lot of sugar and <laughs> he wears a red and white suit. And it's actually the can of Coca-Cola. It's an actual symbolization and, and trope, but people don't realize that they invented Santa Claus. And so this is the power of branding and marketing. And I became obsessed with like, wow, like they're going all out. Like, you know what I mean? And so that's kind of how I just got just completely obsessed with human behavior, why we make decisions around consuming anything. And that's, that's what happened. And my, my, that early mentor, her name's Mary. She also taught me one thing that I think young people listening to this podcast or anybody listening to this podcast might find value in. And that is, I asked her, I said, if I want to have your life in 10 years, what do I have to do? And she was 33. She had, she looked like she was happily married. Like whenever her husband came around, she would smile. So I was like, okay, that's good. That's a good sign. And she had two kids and she wasn't a crazy person. Okay. Like she was just very stoic. And friendly, but she's a little intimidating because she's super smart, but she's 33 and running the division. And I thought, okay, I want her job, right? She told me, besides understanding human behavior, if you want to be successful in this, in this career, she said, number two is take all the projects no one wants. Take the projects that will challenge you, will force you to learn how to work with other people that can be difficult. And also, frankly, you'll get noticed because nobody wants those projects. And so if you want to move up fast, do that. And it was the best advice I've ever gotten, you know, both in my corporate career as well as my entrepreneurial career. So then talk to me about when you decided to go off and do your own thing. And then uh, let us know what you got going on right now. Well, okay. So 10 years, I followed her advice. I ascended the corporate throne, if you will. Like I really did hit some of those milestones. And by the, my last role in the corporate role was actually at Verizon. And I became a division vice president for business to business. So I was like selling and marketing really boring, but good money products, right? Like in the corporate world, B2B always makes more money than B2C, but B2C is really sexy, right? So, but B2B, I was selling things like cloud services and managed services and security and like really sexy stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. And we were crushing it. And then they wanted to do this B2C implementation of an internet 
over IP product for TV, the predecessor to Apple TV, you know, Netflix, even I, I always tell people, I'm not a spring chicken, I'm a seasoned chicken, you know, I've been around for a while. And I was in the early days of IP TV, internet protocol television. And so I got that project, they wanted me to do it because I always took the crappy projects. And they're like, this is gonna be hard. Okay, if you're dealing with telecommunications and technology, and a lot of people, it's, you know, Yuck, right? But I was like, I'm your Huckleberry, let's go. You know, so it was like I went in and I was promised or even told that I was gonna get this huge promotion when I finished it. I was already a divisional VP, but I was gonna move up the ladder. And two years of a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and frankly ignored my family for about a couple years because I was always at work. I found out that my male predecessor was getting the promotion over me. And I realized in that moment that I was not living my values. Like I thought my values were ambition and family. I thought those were my two top values. And they were, by the way, up until that moment. But mm. that moment that I got passed over for the promotion, it didn't feel fair. And I was like, this is not just, this is not right. And back to my old beginnings about my grandma saying, if you work hard, people will reward you. And then for Maria, who was my mentor, who said, if you take the crappy projects, you will get noticed. And I was like, wait a minute. That's not how it works. So I got a, another, like, I got that, I figured it out. I was like, oh, okay. So I realized that my real values in that moment were autonomy and justice, not ambition and family. Not that my family isn't valuable to me, but I realized that I actually wasn't living my values. I was always at work. I wasn't hanging out with my family. I was so busy trying to prove something. So I made a nine month exit plan to leave Travis and I didn't know what I was going to do. But I was like, I need to try back to even my early days in college where I was like, if I don't try it now, yeah. and at the time I was 32, I was like, I'll probably never do it. I'll just keep eating crow. I felt like that same moment of like when I was in college in my early 20s of like, what do I do? Because now I'm lost because I thought I had this plan. It's not going to work out for me. I mean, it could if I just stopped being myself, right? I could just take it and allow it. But I call it like it violated my values. And I realized, okay, I'm going to do something different. So I started a retail company. Nine months later, I grew it to eight figures. And then the recession came, lost it all just as fast as I rose it back to intensity, right? Because money likes speed. I always say that. And so I was like very clear I wanted to do this. Recession came. I didn't have any cash reserves, which is like one of the biggest lessons I learned. And that's why I then turned my career into first a business consultant, went back to Verizon. They were thrilled I was available. And if you work in the corporate world, consultants always get paid more than employees. And that really makes employees mad. And I was like, oh, I'm going to turn it around. I'm going to shift it. I'm going to see it in a different way. Yeah. And so I did that first. I turned that into a brand agency that helped place product managers in companies because those are, that's a really hard position to fill. Then I decided because of a mentor of mine, another mentor said to me, you need to teach entrepreneurs how to do this. And I said, no, thanks. I feel good. This is great. You know, I'm making great money again. I'm more close to my children than I ever have. Like I was like this, I feel great. And she said, you know, entrepreneurs need to understand that. Cause I used to say all the time, I used to complain in these networking groups that I was part of how entrepreneurs wouldn't take these ideas from bigger brands and right-size them for their own personal influence and how to develop it using archetypes and values, right? Those two things. Because, but entrepreneurs lose confidence really quickly because of the ebb and flow of entrepreneurship. Like you don't sign up to be an entrepreneur because you want it to be easy, let's face it, right? So- Because you want to study paycheck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's more you do it because you want freedom and autonomy, right? That idea, if you value that, it's back to like values, right? If you value that, then you make it work. 
but most don't. And I said, I think the reason they don't is because they don't understand human behavior of their audience. They don't understand how to build a brand. And people think of brands as like, oh, it's got to be Starbucks or Tesla, or it can be just you. And, but you have to be able to clearly connect the dots between your audience and you and why they should choose you to solve their problems. Right. And so I decided I would test it because I'm an open, I test things. Like I'm like, I will test it. So I tested it eight years ago and started Master Brand Institute, which is one of my companies. And we did a couple of things, taught people how to build brands using archetypes. And from there, um, now really focus on using those things to help them become more confident marketers of their brands. Because I think it's the biggest gap. I think if you're not making seven figures in your business as an entrepreneur, your biggest gap is marketing. Because it's like people need to know who you are in order to pay you. And there are a lot of mechanisms, including podcasts and other things that you can do to put in place to create that traffic and create that connection you know, with your audience. But people get overwhelmed. They're like, what should I do? Should I have a podcast? Should I have a YouTube show? Should I pay for traffic? Should I, all these things. And I'm like, first you need to know who you are, what you stand for, what are your values, and then create messaging and then test that messaging. And then that way you can have a great podcast and whatever. Right. And so that's what we do now. And it's one of my companies and it's my favorite company, even though it's honestly sometimes the most frustrating because, you know, entrepreneurs, we're, we're both awesome and hard to, to deal with, you know, and that's, but that's what makes us leaders because we're contrarian. We're questioning the status quo. We're changing things because we don't like it. So yeah. And so I help them just get more confident. Awesome. Amazing. And you have a program that's coming out that's yeah. just that. Is that right? Yeah, it's called the Confidently Program. And basically, we help people use these strategies, brand archetypes, learning how to be values-driven to develop messaging, marketing, and monetization strategies to get their products and services out to the world in a bigger way. Amazing. And uh, where can we go to find that? I have actually something I can give your audience. It's actually the brand archetype assessment that I developed when after learning, after two decades of experience, I put together an actual diagnostic that helps you understand the true essence and nucleus of your brand based on brand archetypes. So you can find out if you can invent the next Santa Claus. <laughs> and you can go to master brand dot me forward slash network. So masterbrand.me forward slash network. Masterbrand.me forward slash network. Please go check that out and jump into some of these trainings that Jen is putting together. She's the best at what she does for sure. Jen, I got to ask you this question before we move into our last segment. It's a question that I've asked everybody on the show and it kind of moves the conversation a little bit more around networking. I know we didn't have a ton of time to jump into that today. Maybe we can set up a part two because I know that's a big part of your life. And you mentioned you know relationships with mentors and different things like that along the way. But I do need to ask you this question. Do you believe that who you know or what you know? is more important. Mm. Which of those two is more important and why? You're asking me now, right? In the gen now would answer who you know is more important than what you know, because the who you know can connect you to even more of what you know, like connect you to mm. another person who may be able to fill a gap. In fact, I think that's one of the rules of marketing is we're actually not trying to enhance or improve people's lives. What we are trying to fill a gap for them and the who fills the gap. And so within an area that you may need more support in, for example, in 2008, I needed a better financial advisor, right? I needed, and so it was like, after that, I took it really seriously. And I asked a few friends that I admired who seemed to really manage their finances well in their companies. And they connected to me, to my CFO today. And that was a huge gap that allowed me to be get smarter, you know, learning more of what I needed to know to be more effective CEO in my business. So yeah. Absolutely love that answer. And it gives us a perfect segue into the last round here. So I'm like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? Sure. 
What profession other than your own do you think that it would just be fun to attempt? I would like to be a Broadway star. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be? Jesus, because I really want to know the truth. (laughs) How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Books, for sure. And I like them smelly and hardcover, for sure. And what's one of your favorites that you'd recommend to everybody? Lord of the Rings, the whole trilogy. I feel like if you can read that, you can read anything. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. My Peloton, I'm obsessed. It's probably my favorite brand and thing. And so every morning I go to church on my Peloton, I like to say. What is your go-to pump-up song? Gosh, I have so many. (laughs) But I'll pick When Doves Cry by Prince. And what is something that you are just not very good at, Jen? Oh, so many things. I actually hate content building content. People are very surprised by that. And I actually, it takes me a lot longer than people, than other people. I'm just more committed to it, I guess. (laughs) So I'd actually say developing content is not my default easy button. And what is one place online where we would be able to go to find you the most? I think Instagram is probably my favorite place to hang out and dialogue with people. Mm -hmm. So I'm at jennifer.chem, K-E-M over there at jennifer.chem over on Instagram. And I am at Travis Chapel over on Instagram. If you're listening to this right now, take a quick screenshot, upload it to your Instagram story, tag both of us, and uh, we'll go over there, say what's up, and uh, chat it up a little bit in the DMs. Jen, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, just had a seriously, a, a really great time chatting with you. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Your questions are so good. <laughs> thanks, Travis. Well, that's it for today's show. If you want more advanced networking strategies, as well as an instant network upgrade, then consider partnering with my BYN Inner Circle Mastermind. There are already dozens of high quality entrepreneurs in the group. There's dozens of video lessons on networking. There's monthly calls, there's accountability crews and more, all for the low investment of just 99 bucks a month. So head over to byninnercircle.com to jump in. That's byninnercircle.com. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. We'll see you next time. Remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.